This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at pgasuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. One other thing to know about our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore is they are teeing up a virtual nine-hole golf tournament series, and they invite golfers to come and play the country's most popular and famous golf courses in a fun and affordable and convenient manner. Over the next five weeks, they are holding indoor nine-hole tournaments, which include virtual competition on top courses from around the country. Each week, a new nine-hole tournament format is going to be introduced with up to $200 in weekly prizes for tournament and contest winners. They will also feature a closest to the whole contest. The entry per tournament is $19.99. For more information and to register for the virtual tournament, go online to PGATourSuperstore.com. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is ma- and making his third appearance with me is Olin Brown. Let me remind you about Olin's background. He is from Washington, D.C., He attended Occidental College out in L.A. He joined the team as a sophomore and gradually moved up to be their number one player. He was named a first-team all-conference, all-SCIAC golfer in 1980 and 1982, and he he received an at-large invitation to the NCAA Division III Championship. He was inducted into their Golf Hall of Fame back in 1997, and their annual Golf MVP Award is now named in his honor. He turned pro in 1984, he won four times on the then Nike Tour, twice in 1991, once in 93, and once in 96. He won three times on the regular tour at the 1998 Greater Hartford Open, chipping in from 40 feet to, de- uh, to defeat Stuart Sink and Larry Mize in a playoff. He won the 1999 Colonial by one stroke over a host of players, including Fred Funk, and at the 2005 Deutsche Bank Championship over Jason Vaughn. In 2005, he won the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year Award, Over the course of his time on the regular tour, he had three wins, 25 top 10 finishes, and 80 top 25s. He's won twice so far on the Champions Tour, including the 2011 U.S. Senior Open by three strokes over Marco Mira, and here in Atlanta at the 2015 Greater Gwinnett Championship by one stroke over Bernard Longer. He's also had three second-place finishes, four-thirds, and 44 top 10. This year alone, he had three top 10s and seven top 25s including a fourth-place finish last week at the Pure Insurance Championship. And I'm delighted that he is back with me on Next on the Tee. Hey, Owen, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, I can't believe this is my third time back on the show. But even more so, I can't believe you keep inviting me back, bro. (laughs) And why wouldn't I? You're fantastic. You kidding me? (laughs) Figured you'd be sick of me by now. Absolutely not. So, Olin, I want to start by, you know, checking in on you first. You live down in, in South Florida and, you know, um, I, obviously with the, you know, with the hurricane and the aftermath and all of that. How you doing? Is everything okay? Yeah, you know, kind of a scary, scary deal here. Uh, this time of year in particular, things get a little dicey. And, you know, the forecast was for a direct hit in Palm Beach County. And um, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for a lot of other Floridians, it, it missed us and went around and we skirted us, hit the Keys pretty hard, hit the southwest coast of Florida pretty hard, and then went up the middle of the state and put a pretty good whacking on Melbourne and points north, Jacksonville, and so forth. Um, uh, you know, truly catastrophic storm category five at one point, and I think it made landfall as a four, and then 
and you know the storm surge and the rain and all this kind of stuff it was you know it was just a devastating storm but um you know florida's pretty resilient used to this kind of thing and uh, i think we're going to come out the long run okay and Owen, like I mentioned in your intro, you've accomplished many great things over the course of your playing career. And one of one of the things that I don't think enough people know about is you shot 59 in the qualifying tournament to get into the 2005 U.S. Open at Pinehurst. Talk about what you remember about that round. And at what point did you start to think to yourself, you know what, hey, what? Guess what? I can shoot 59 here. <laughs> it's a long story. I don't know if you have enough time for it. I'll give you the shortest version I can, but I shot 73 in the morning round uh, on Woodmont's north course, uh, which is the tougher of the two courses. And but I played really, really good golf. You know, I think I hit 16 or 17 greens, and I, I had one birdie and one bogey and another three putt. I shot one over par. It was I was kind of bent about it, and uh, I almost actually almost withdrew. And uh, I asked the guys, the scorekeepers, the USGA guys there, well, you know, what was the appropriate way to do that. And they said, well, you just tell us, and then you can go on your way. And <clears throat> told them I was going to have lunch and think about it. You know, it was 2005. I, my son was uh, 16 years old at that time. My daughter, three years younger than that. And kind of had a reflective moment and uh, wondered how I could ever ask them, you know, to keep battling uh, their battles in life if, if I walked away from that. And so uh, I, you know, made a decision to – to play at least nine more holes. I was playing, you know, the tournament at Congressional the week after that. So I didn't want to be totally spent, but I figured I had to put at least a minimal effort into it. I shot 30 on the front nine. I'm like, caddy, so we can't quit now, can we? He says, nope, we can't. <laughs> and uh, the truth is, the truth is that I eagled the last two holes, and I thought surely I'd shot 59, and I was adding up my scorecard and kept adding up to 59. I, I, it's a golf psychologist uh, dream because – the, the whole the whole point is I completely lost track of where I was and what I was shooting, and the end result was I shot 59 qualified for the U.S. Open. So you know, I, I guess you know, for for a lot of us, right, when we're when we're trying to you know make a score, you know, get get the best round we've ever had, you start to get a little nervous, thinking you know, hey, I could do this, I could break 80, I could break 70, whatever it is. So uh, none of that happened. You you, you had no pressure. For the fifty nine, you didn't. You weren't coming into sixteen, seventeen, thinking, "Boy, I could, I could do something special here." Uh, no, um, I, I think, I think that one of the things that I prided myself on is when, when I start making birdies, I'll keep trying to make birdies, and you know, you have to be, I think, as a player, willing to accept the outcome of your decisions. So. If you, if you start putting on cruise control, you know, you're never going to break 68 or 69. And there are times where golf seems to take a life of its own. And, uh, if you don't, if you don't commit to going as low as you can, you're doing yourself a disservice and disrespecting the game, right? So, um, I've just always felt like if I'm playing well, I'm going to, I'm going to start aiming at some pins and I'm going to rely on, on you know my ball striking and if i need to rely on uh, a recovery shot um that's okay but you know it doesn't always work out the way you want it to i mean sometimes sometimes you make that decision and you go ahead and make a bogey or a double bogey and you just have to be willing to accept the outcome of that play and not have any regrets about it and um i think that's what all the best players do i mean i don't think tiger ever thought about anything other than executing the greatest shot he could at any given time jack nicholas is saying and, 
you know, Rory McIlroy and all the young guys now. I mean, you, you, you watched it last week um, at the President's Cup. Those guys were on fire, and, you know, they were they were living it up and digging it, and they were willing to commit to every single shot and play the very best shot they could. And then the result was a pretty resounding victory. So, I mean, I think I think that's the nature of the game, and I think, I think guys who guys who embrace that at the moment have a lot of success, and guys who don't probably move on to something else. And you mentioned the President's Cup, Owen, and, and you were assistant captain on the 2008 Ryder Cup team. Paul Azinger picked you to be a part of that team because he said you were one of the smartest people he knows, and as a good friend, he wanted to share the Ryder Cup experience with you. But I read that you turned him down initially to be an assistant captain. Talk about why. Um, well, um, I, I, you know, I'd never played at that level in golf. I, I, I think for Ben Crenshaw's team, you know, they called me up and asked me if I, you know, my, my pants and shirt sizes and all that kind of stuff, but I ended up not making the team. And I, I just always felt that that was kind of an important thing. I mean, how, how am I going to be an assistant captain? How, how can I contribute if I haven't experienced the, the Ryder Cup, and by the way, the the things that you list that I've done in golf, all of those, every single one of them, pale in comparison to being part of the 2008 Ryder Cup team. I mean, it's that kind of you know representing your country at that level in that kind of an environment is the most extraordinary thing I've ever been a part of, and you know to this day I thank Paul for it. But you're right, I did I did turn him down. He asked me, and I, I said no, man, that's. And he asked me why. I said, no, you know, I said, well, um, you know, I think you need somebody who's been around there before and, and understands the environment and, you know, that it's can make kind of contribution to the team. And that wasn't his take on it. He gave me his reasons why. And, you know, after careful consideration, careful consideration, 30 seconds later, I accepted. (laughs) (laughs) And Owen, to your point, I read an article from Golf Digest about you where, where you said the two greatest experiences that you had and the experiences that you had in golf were the 2008 Ryder Cup and playing in the Masters. So, you know, to the, the, the comment you made a moment ago, is that still the case? Are those two the two greatest things that you, when you look back and reflect on your career, the two greatest things that leap to mind? Well, I think for a young player growing up in the United States, the, the ultimate tournament is really you know, it's one of the major championships, and I think everybody has their favorite. But um, to me, the Masters was it because whether or not you were in the tournament, uh, we could all play the tournament alongside the guys playing. The television coverage annually is the same. You know where the whole locations are going to be every Saturday and Sunday. And, uh, and only until recently, we could only see the back nine. So, I mean, there was this kind of mystery about it, and it kind of had a, a – it was captivating to me. And so – um, for a long time, I kind of set it on a pedestal. And in spite of some invitations to go play uh, Augusta National, uh, you know, I kind of made a commitment to never go play unless I got invited to play the tournament. So I put that as one of my, you know, ultimate goals in life. And, and it's hard to set things like that uh, that far apart from the other things that you do and then have them meet their expectation or exceed your expectation. And uh, in the in the case of the, of the Masters, it did all of that, and and then of course the Ryder Cup. It's unimaginable because golf is such an individual sport. To have a gathering of twelve players who are playing at the pinnacle of the game, 
it's really hard to qualify your the best players uh, on your tour, whether it's our tour or the European tour. And to be selected for that is, you know, the ultimate in golf. You're representing, you know, before golf was in the Olympics, you're representing your country. Uh, and there's a lot going on in terms of that right now. A lot of a lot of it in the media. A lot of nonsense, not nonsense, but a lot of uh, craziness happening in Vegas and uh, just the the, uh, the opportunity to be a part of that and and wear the colors. I didn't play, but I got to be there and I got to be inside the ropes and I got to offer my little contributions. Is uh, still you know the greatest thing I've ever been part of, and I think if you ask any of the guys who've been on the teams, they would probably say the same thing. And Owen, uh, to your point about earning your way into the Masters, right? You got in in '98. What was what was it like when when the actual invitation arrived in the mail, and then driving up Magnolia Lane for the first time? Well, you know it's funny. There are a few things that you keep as memorabilia. I don't know where any of my trophies are. It's a big joke in my house. You know, they're tucked away somewhere. I don't have them on display. Hell, I haven't won enough to make that a, a big deal, you know. But um, <clears throat> I still have my invitations to the Masters, and I still have the letters that Arnold Palmer wrote me after a win. So there are some things that have meaning that transcend the actual tournament. And, and the tournaments are fleeting, you know what I mean? Um, you, you, have a, you have a performance – uh, through the week, you, if you finish on Sunday, they parade you out there on the putting green. A bunch of people are clapping for you. Sign a few autographs, and you're off on Monday for the next event. And it lasts all of that time before next Thursday you tee up. And so, to me, you know, winning tournaments on the tour, the few that I've won are validation for the years of dedication and hard work. But they, you know, they don't have they don't have the the legs that some of these other things do that you set yourself. Uh, you know, set, set yourself some some goals or whatever, and you and you have them in the in the kind of the dream state of your childhood or your youth in the in the game. And you know, being an invitee to the, to the Masters is always one of those things. And so, for it to exceed my expectation was truly great. And then uh, again, the Ryder Cup, just fantastic experiences, always cherish them. Well, and it feels like we're in a very unique time out on the PGA Tour. We have a whole group of guys now who are in their who are in their early twenties, trading wins, and they seem genuinely happy for each other, no matter which one of them wins. Is, is that is it really that unique? Is it, was it ever like that when you were out on the PGA Tour, or is it like that now when you're out on the Champions Tour? Do guys seem happy for one another? Is that camaraderie? something that isn't as unique as we think it is, or is it really very unique? You know, it's an interesting question. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in junior golf, so I can't speak to that. I mean, there are a lot of guys who've known each other a, a long, long time, who've been competing with one another for a long, long time, who I think feel genuine rivalries and genuine affection for one another, um, you know, revel in each other's success. And I think that's always been the case. I mean, I think, you know, Jack Nicklaus is famous for having a respect for his opponents, regardless of the outcome. Now Jack did, you know, he set the bar, right? I mean, uh, with 18 major championships and 20, if you count the two U S amateurs. Um, and I, I think, I think that maybe golf has evolved with television. I think people are accountable to their, 
performances on TV, maybe more so than they used to be. And I think we live in an era where people want to look good, right? It's uh, We live in a marketing world, and nobody wants to be shunned publicly. Everybody wants to be embraced. That's part of the... That's part of the deal going forward. So I think I think we got we got a confluence of of young players who are terrifically talented, who have grown up knowing each other and playing junior golf at the highest level for the longest time, and then you know a lot of media exposure. And I I think that uh, I think all of those things coming together make for a really positive environment out on the PGA Tour. I think. Uh, what we're seeing right now is really wonderful for golf. I mean, there were a lot of people who were really concerned with what was going to happen with golf when Tiger Woods stopped being the dominant figure. And, you know, it's been a few years since he has been. And I don't know a single person I can think of who doesn't wish him well and hope that he comes back guns blazing and, and, uh, and returning to form. But I mean, realistically speaking, um, some of the other guys have, kind of usurp the spotlight and we've had this parade of over the last really six or eight years guys who really 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 can play the game um they're fan friendly they're entertaining they bomb the ball course records are dropping left and right guys are shooting 62s and threes back to back it's just it's a it's a golden era right now if people take the time to stop and watch i think they'll be really pleased with uh with what they see Oh, and I want to take you back to your first win out on uh, the PGA Tour in 98 at the Hartford Open. You won that by chipping in from 40 feet to beat, among others, Larry Mize. So you sort of reprised his shot at the 87 Masters to beat him. Talk about what it felt like when that shot went in. Well, first of all, uh, this subject has come up before, and I don't know if it's come up with – you and I, but I mean, other people have asked me the same question. And let me just get this out of the way early because Larry Mize, my mind hit the greatest shot I've ever seen in golf. Um, when he won at Augusta in 87, um, to take down, it was Seve and Greg Norman at the time and that chip shot, because really there were two outcomes and, uh, it was either the, the miracle shot or the ball's likely going in the water. You know, the greens were so fast, and it was such a challenging shot. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and bet that nobody had a 60-degree wedge in those days, so Larry was pitching the ball with a 56 or maybe maybe even a 55-degree wedge. Um, the outcome was so uh, extraordinary. Um, the moment, the local boy, I mean, come on, you know. And, and people forget that he made an incredible putt on the last hole just to get in the playoff or to secure a spot in the playoff. So mm-hmm. I, have, I have tremendous respect for Larry. He's one of the nicest guys you will ever come around. I'm sure he's been on your show. And um, for him to win that tournament is the ultimate in his professional uh, quiver. And he and I were trading, you know, uh, the lead that Sunday – uh, we both made a double on the back nine. I, I was tied for the lead, I think, making the turn. I doubled 10, and he was leading the tournament, and he doubled 15. And uh, I was actually kind of, frankly, half lucky to get into the playoff and uh, to walk back to the tee. And, you know, everybody else was riding a cart, and they had to come pick me up because I was three-quarters of the way down the fairway trying to collect my thoughts. And to, to chip in like that, to win that tournament in front of all those people was just pretty remarkable for me. Just a couple more before we let you go, Owen. You, you fast forward several years to 2011. Now you're out on the Champions Tour and you bring home a major. 
at the 2011 U.S. Senior Open at Inverness. Talk about winning a major and, and outdistancing a field that had, you know, Marco Mira and Mark Kalkovecchia, Hale Irwin, Bernard Langer, all near the top of the leaderboard. You get it done that day. That has that had to be an unbelievable experience. Well, you know, it's really funny because um, I remember a couple of moments during the year where I was really frustrated with my golf because I was shooting some good scores and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. And I finished third at Sahali the year before. And I think 10th the year before that at Crooked Stick. So this is my third senior U.S. Open. And uh, I remember coming back from Walton Heath, which was where the senior British was the week before, and I'd had troubles with my putter. And I knew what the problem was. I, I was squirting the ball off the off the face of the putter, and I knew well that I didn't have enough loft. Well, my putter, I couldn't find somewhere to get loft over there. So the first thing I did when I got when I got to Inverness was to put some loft on my putter, and I went into the trailer and went out to the putting green, went back to the trailer, went out to the putting green until I got it right. And then, you know, preceding that, I, I got to the parking lot, and I walked to the first tee, and the first and the tenth tee were separated by a tiny little putting green, but they they share a series of bunkers, and and they kind of they head off in a, in a V, and, and I remember the feeling that I got immediately when I saw the place was what an unbelievably cool spot. So, you know the the, the momentum and the vibe and the whole thing was so positive all week, and I shot 64 the first day, and you know I had a couple shot lead, and then I played with Marco. Mark McNulty the first two rounds. I think I shot 68 or 9 the second day, and I maintained my lead. You know, basically, the whole, the whole tournament, I was leading the tournament. I got paired with M.O. Saturday and Sunday, and, you know, here's a future Hall of Famer and, uh, you know, multiple major champion, uh, U.S. amateur champion, one of our really accomplished players and one of the all-time great guys, and I'm paired with him Saturday and Sunday, and we just had a great time, you know, by the time we got done, uh, or got to the got to the tournament Sunday, the final round, it was basically match play because I think I had him by two and the rest of the field by five. And you know, if if he and I just played solid golf and the course was playing hard, you know, it was long, it was it was wet, so the course was playing long. If he and I played decent golf, it was pretty much the case that nobody was going to run us down. It was going to be a match play situation, you know, and it was it was a it was a great experience for me, all 72 holes, and I'm really proud to have that U.S. Senior Open trophy in my in my uh, resume. And uh, to have, like I said, to have played with M.O. the last two days was uh, was a great experience. And Owen, your son has been playing out on the McKenzie Tour in Canada th- this year. Talk about the state of his game. You know, he's a he's a great man, my son. Um, <laughs> I'm very proud of him. He's he's uh, just had his second son last week. Wow, Anders, which is a big which is a big deal for our family. So he he's gearing up for Q school. He played the McKenzie Tour this year. He's played it uh, three of the last four years, I guess. And you know he's he's a little older now. He's 29, but he's got a young player's game. And if he can harness his um, his momentum and take care of his business. He's got, he's got a beautiful skill set, wonderful short game, you know, hits it like all the kids now hits it long, hits it fairly straight. Um, and it's just a question of managing the situation and handling where you are at the time. So uh, I have full confidence that he can get that done. And I'm looking forward to this run here. He's about to start on next week. So Owen, what's, what's on your schedule the rest of 2017 and looking into 2018. 
We've got four events left. I've uh, got the, the rest of this week off and head up to SAS. Then we get the playoffs. They start off. And ultimately the Schwab Cup. And then I always go out and play the TaylorMade Tournament out at Pebble Beach right before Thanksgiving, which is a great event. Uh, looking at the Jamaican Open, maybe the Calusa Pines Invitational. So I've got some things on my plate. Looking forward to playing a little bit of golf here towards the end of the year. And after the year, you know, the official year is over, have some fun with some of those uh, kind of off-season events that we like to play. And then it's a great time of year. You know, got the holidays. Um, Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up. A great time of year for us and our family and hopefully for everybody else in this country. And uh, just really looking forward to finishing the year strongly. And and uh, then i got some things that I want to do, get ready for next year. Hopefully the year starts off well and I finish well this year and start off well next year and just keep plugging along at this game that I love so much for as long as they let me play it. So and let our listeners know how they can follow you online and over social media because you play a great uh, disc jockey on Twitter every now and then. (laughs) You know, it's funny. My daughter is uh, is trying to cut her teeth in the music business. She's a singer and songwriter. I was trying to figure out a way one day to to kind of promote what she was doing. I figured, you know what, I'll post a song every day. And so I like posting a song to welcome every day. And some of the songs are kind of something that, that occurred to me. Some of them have some, you know, meaning at the time. And, you know, with Tom Petty, uh, what happened with him today, I'll be posting a Tom Petty song for sure tomorrow. Uh, but then, you know, I'll slide one of her songs in there every now and then because I think that if people give her a chance and listen to her stuff, that they really like it. It's at Olin Brown on Twitter, and uh, she's Alexander Brown Music. And so uh, if you have a chance, have a look. Owen, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back on the show. See, I always have such a great time talking with you, so that's why I like to have you on as, as often well, Chris, as you know, your, your schedule allows. You're a good man. I think last time or maybe the first time ago we were talking about football and my Deadskins are on TV today. We didn't get a chance to get to them. I'm a little bit PO'd at the Redskins right now because, you know, they had a chance. I think I think they had a chance to sign a pretty good player in Kirk Cousins, and, and they let that slide. And why they did that, I don't know. Maybe they were playing poker with them, but they're going to end up letting them walk, it looks like. And he's going to end up somewhere else where he wants to be and where somebody really wants him. But, you know, that's the way business works, isn't it? Well, it is, and that would be a, a huge loss. I'm, I'm with you. That would be a big mistake by the Redskins to let Kirk Cousins walk away because, you know, he's a, he's a great talent. He's, he's, he's well he's underrated. He's walking, he's walking for nothing. He's, he's right. earned it. He's, he's earned whatever he gets. Agreed. Owen, thanks again for your time, my friend. I hope uh, hope uh, much success to you. Congratulations on the new grandson, and uh, hopefully we get the uh, privilege of having you back on the show again before too long. You're fantastic. Chris, you're a good man. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. I enjoy talking with you. I hope we get a chance to do it soon. Uh, I was only fun on you when I said, man, I can't believe you keep inviting me back, but I'm always, <laughs> I'm always looking forward to it when you call and ask. <laughs> I appreciate that, Owen, very much. Take care, my All friend. Right, we'll catch up soon. Be well. That is the great Owen Brown. Can't thank him enough for his time. What what a wonderful guest he is and look forward to getting him back on the show again real soon.